Welcome to the Parenting Cipher, where each episode will give you the tools and resources to help your child thrive in school and in life. Please rate and review this podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. We're back with part two of our Cypher conversation with LaJoy Law. If you missed part one, be sure to check it out on episode three, where LaJoy shared all the tea on how you have to make sure that you are okay so that your children are okay. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to jump right back in into the second part of discussion where we start talking about advocacy and who holds the power. How do you get change to happen in your state? Let's go. What exactly do educational boards do and how does that affect families? So the State Board of Education, they are a policy-making body in the District of Columbia. Their role was redefined in 2007 when the city went under mayoral control. So currently, the State Board of Education, they are the voice. I'm going to say that one more time. They are the voice in public education, okay? And so they are the voices that are determining and that have direct authority over graduation requirements, academic standards for all public schools. So that includes DCPS and charter, right? Mm -hmm. The graduation requirements like the community service hours, attendance requirements, residency requirements. Right now, and that's not so much requirement. Let me say standards. So social study standards, graduation standards, academic standards. And for the social studies one, currently they're working on changing that standard. So that way it's more inclusive of Black history, of Latin history, because right now things are very, I say, watered down and it just needs to be. Well, it's their story. It's not our story. Bring us in to say, oh yeah, y'all okay, or to justify their story. That's how I feel about it. You know, you choose which one of our icons you want to choose to talk about because it helps benefit your story. Mm-hmm. So- Yeah, falseness. So I don't know if this is a nationwide thing, but in D.C., Mm -hmm. they have started to give the children certificates Mm -hmm. instead of graduating them, which I feel is more of a push through. Mm -hmm. The child has not met the requirements. You have not actually implemented a program for that child to be successful and you're just pushing them through the gates in the certificate. So you're saying the Board of Education is in charge of actually implementing and creating that idea of certificates. So with the non-public, yes. Well, actually, let me take that back. And this is the problem that I have. Aussie creates a lot of the things that we're talking about, like with the certificates and the graduate. So let, let everyone know what is Aussie. So Aussie is the office of the state superintendent of education. And so when we're talking about the non-publics, Aussie determines who the non-publics are. So they approve, right, or deny them because what's happening is Aussie is the DC, I don't know if it liaison is the right word, but they are the DC liaison for the schools and the non-public school. So for example, let's use Abria for example. So Abria currently is at rocket ship. Mm-hmm. If the IEP team and myself, and it has to be a team decision, if the IEP team and I decide that they cannot meet her IEP, so the hours on her IEP, that she needs to go to a non-public school that can meet her IEP, which may even may be a more restrictive environment, or they may have more resources to be able to implement the IEP. Because it's not a request, it's a requirement. The schools are supposed to implement the IEPs under IDEA. That's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. That's one of the federal 
special education laws, right? Mm-hmm. And so if the school is mandated under IDEA to implement the IEP and they can't because they don't have the resources or the tools to do it, then us as a team can decide, okay, she's going to go to a non-public. For her to get approved completely to go to the non-public, Bria has to go through OSSE, Office of the State Superintendent of Education, O-S-S-E, for her to get to the non-public. So under OSSE, you have the non-public monitoring unit Mm -hmm. where they are the state, OSSE is the state education agency, so Mm S-E-A, where they are supposed to ensure that IDEA is being implemented. The problem with all of this is, and how it relates to the State Board of Education, OSSE does not report to the State Board of Education. So I just want to make this clear. The state education agency in the District of Columbia does not report to the State Board of Education. What? OSSE reports to the mayor. The superintendent, Hansel Kang, is appointed by the mayor. The deputy mayor of education is appointed by the mayor. The chancellor of DCPS schools is appointed by the mayor. The public charter school board, I believe, is appointed by the mayor. I'm sure we all see a consistency here about the imbalance. So the mayor doesn't even talk to or confer with the Board of Education when they're hiring these people to put them in office. Do you know? Elaborate on that. When you say you talk about putting people in office, are you talking? So when she hires the um, commissioner. Which commissioner? The commissioner of education. Wasn't it the DCU? Okay, so let's break it down. The State Board of Education has nine people on there. Mm -hmm. They are elected. That's what I'm doing now is going through the election process. Right. And campaigning. It's eight wards and one at large. I'm running for Ward 8, and my good friend Jock is running for at large. There are no Black parents on the State Board of Education. What? There's one parent that has a school-aged child on the State Board of Education, but there are no Black parents with school-aged children. We have an educator voice. We have teacher voice. We have community activist voice. We have research voice. We have all of these different voices on the State Board of Education But the voice that is primarily missing is Black parent voice. And the education landscape in D.C. is over 60 percent of Black children in our education system. And furthermore, in Ward 8, not all, Ward 8 is is definitely getting diverse, but the majority of our families are Black families. Where are the parents? How is the State Board of Education the voice in public education, but you don't have not one, not one, not one Black parent with a school-aged child, right? Mm. And so that's a problem just within itself. And then furthermore, with OSSE, so the State Board of Education advises OSSE. They don't have a direct line of authority over OSSE, but they advise OSSE. OSSE reports to the mayor. The superintendent of OSSE is appointed by the mayor. The chancellor of DCPS schools mm-hmm. is appointed by the mayor. The deputy mayor for education is appointed by the mayor. Mm. The State Board of Education is really the only elected body, is the only independent agency that has elected officials. Mm. You with me now? Yep. Okay. Personally, I think it's a travesty. It is an absolute travesty. And I was really not so much taken aback, but this is what happens with systematic racism. Right. This is what happens 
with inequity. We can say equity, 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 trauma, 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 and all these wonderful terms. But if you were not walking that walk, there is a problem. Right. A real problem. And for the State Board of Education to have every single voice, how do you have, you have teachers, educators, community activists. There are so many different voices on there out of those nine individuals. And there is not one African-American parent with school-aged children on the State Board of Education, which is our version of a school board. Right. That is a travesty. But we want to preach equity. Equity. It's so, this point with that whole word equity, I'm just feeling like it's being overused, but understated. And it's this place of, well, we give you the opportunity to have a voice. We give you, and you don't want it. But the thing is, we have a voice, but we're not clear with the channels on how to use those voices. Mm -hmm. We're not clear on who we're supposed to be talking to to get these changes done. Because DC education landscape is so, it's all over the place. There's not a lot of cohesiveness or cohesion. So let's talk about this real quick. Let's look at the charter schools. The public charter school board, according to themselves, says, we don't have any direct line of authority over the schools themselves. We are an authorizer. Mm -hmm. So we authorize the schools to open and to close. Mm-hmm. But there is not a direct line of authority. Each charter school is its own local education agency. Mm-hmm. So in D.C., it's like over 60 local education agencies here. DCPS is one, which I believe is the largest. And then all the other charter schools are its own LEA, local education agency. So their direct line of authority comes from their board, that charter school board. Right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about cohesiveness, that can be confusing. And then even within DCPS, there is still confusion because there's an equity happening. The schools aren't funded the same because we have this funding formula that's not working. And we'll talk about that later. That's a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. But there's not even cohesiveness in DCPS. Everyone is kind of doing their own thing because there's a different level of need. There's a different level of funding that's happening or it's a different level of resources. And then we get the State Board of Education over here as an independent education agency. And under the State Board, there's the Ombudsman's Office and Office of the Chief Student Advocate. And the Ombudsman's Office is basically they're a neutral party to basically to mediate conflict between families and schools. And then the Chief Student Advocate Office is to ensure that students and families, again, another resource to ensure that parents and families have the information that they need to advocate and to navigate, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But rewind that for a minute. So you said the chief, what is it? The last one that helps parents advocate. So the chief student advocate office is basically a resource office for families to help give them the tools necessary to advocate for their children. So that's interesting because I didn't even know that existed and I've been advocating for a while. (laughs) And all of it, no, no, it's fine. This is why we're having this conversation right. about information sharing. So right. under, under the State Board of Education, that is where they do have a direct line of authority because their offices are under their peer view. Mm-hmm. Office of the Student Advocate mm-hmm. and the Ombudsman's Office, which is a neutral party. I call them the neutral zone. And they help mediate conflict between the school and the family. And I just want to make sure that this is clear. They can help families, right? And making sure, again, with helping them, giving them the information. But they don't necessarily represent the family and they don't represent the school. They're neutral. They come in to mediate. 
So you have all of this under the State Board of Education. And then what we just explained about the charters and how each of them are their own LEA, their local education agency. And then you have DCPS, which is over here. So there's not a lot of cohesion. All right. And furthermore, with charter schools, charters were created under federal law. They weren't created under D.C. law. The School Reform Act of 1995. Mm -hmm. Please correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) It is. Okay. So that is a federal law that was put in place because the school system was having a lot of challenges. That's right. It was a lot of things happening. And we're going to leave that there. And we're going to call them challenges. But there were a lot of challenges. And the federal government, not only did they step in on schools at that time, but they stepped in on a lot of things in D.C. at that time because we know that D.C. is not a state. So with our charter schools, they were established by federal law. And in that law, it talks about autonomy and how they each have their own autonomy. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to share about everybody. Just because you have autonomy does not negate the fact that you still have to implement IDEA, the Individual with Disabilities Education Act, because that is a federal law. It's a mandate. It's a requirement, not a request. So to all of our families who are in charter schools or D.C. public schools, IDEA is a mandate. There's a process. The schools have to go through that process. The issue comes in with how we are funding the schools, which is why there is a lack of resources, especially east of the river. And so... As I wrap it up, I feel like I just, that's like a a lot, y'all. I'm sorry to dump that on y'all. It got heavy, but in my show notes, I will be leaving explanations. (laughs) Yes, Yes. I would say, I know that was heavy, but I just wanted to make sure that we talked about the educational landscape and how me running fits into this, but also how just the educational landscape of DC, because again, information sharing, a lot of folks don't know, and it's because everything is kind of everywhere, And that's just the best way I can explain it, which is one of the issues that we're having in the middle of this pandemic with the schools. Right. So leading with that, you were interviewed, I think in April or March, about the pandemic in the schools. And you said that parents are always our kids' first teachers, but I don't think that's going to take the place of what they get at school. And I know that Mm -hmm. you have been sharing on Facebook Mm -hmm some of the interactions with your daughter that you have been using to support her in this virtual school right now. And I also know in previous conversations that we've had that if schools open at 100% under this pandemic, you have already stated due to your daughter's health, you will not be attending school. So with that being said, what are your feelings? Like when you say that parents are always with first teachers, which is important because I think that Mm -hmm. we forget that and we go take a back seat. Mm-hmm. thinking that somebody's going to drive the truck right. <laughs> right. So, let, so let, let me expound on that. So, and this is a shout out to every single parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, auntie, uncle, community mama, community dad, community auntie or community uncle. So this is to all the families. We are our child's first teacher. We are our child's first educator. We are the cafeteria lady. We are the chef. We are the doctor. We are kiss the Mm boo-boo. Okay. We are the counselor. Families, we have this role that encompasses a lot of things to make sure that we are whole for our children. Mm -hmm. So that is a statement to say, I acknowledge and respect you as a parent for the many roles that you are. That does not take place of the school teacher. 
Right. That does not take place of the actual social worker. That does not take place of the therapist. But parents, we are in those roles because we are giving our children advice. We are guiding our children. We are teaching our children. We are educating our children. We are feeding our children, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this encompassing holistic role in addition to what they have at school. Right. Because I tell everyone, I'm like, my daughter has a speech therapist. She has a physical therapist. She has an occupational therapist at school. She has an outside speech therapist. She has an outside occupational therapist that we go see that's outside of school. I was about to enroll her in tutoring so we could get her a tutor. She has her pulmonary doctor. She has her um, ears, nose, and throat doctor. She has her pediatrician. She has her neurology doctor. Okay. You got team Abria. That's what I like to call it. There's a team. We have the IEP team. Okay. So we have this entire team of people to ensure her health, to ensure that she's okay, right? Mm -hmm. But guess what? Who is at home giving Abria the medicine? Who is at home teaching Abria and doing homework? Who has to take Abria to the doctor's appointments? Who is taking Abria to therapy? Who has to reinforce what the therapists are saying? That's mm-hmm. where parents come in. So that's the holistic view that I'm talking about, about all of these different folks that are on our children's team. We have to embrace all of that mm-hmm. and implement that at home and everywhere else. Right. Right. But when it comes to school and this pandemic, you're going to have to make this decision for your household. You are truly going to have to parent your household your way. And in this pandemic, I told everyone, I'm like, I still have to go to work. Right. So I broke Abria's school schedule down into a matter of two hours. That's it. I focused on quality versus quantity. I focused on, okay, I know she's going to need a break. Let's do 30 minutes of reading with her breaks in between. And then we'll take like a whole 15, maybe 20 minute break. Let's do math for 30 minutes. Depending like with her teacher, we'll do on the Zoom and things of that nature. And then we'll do that. Take a break. Here's your lunch. Recess. That's playtime in her playroom. Let's come back and do some writing. Two hours. That's the max. Because that's all I have to give because I'm at work. Right. AJE. So I have to make sure that I'm doing my casework and my caseload and helping parents that are calling in to help them navigate. Mm-hmm. And so that's what worked for my household. Now, do what I think I did here at home during this pandemic replace the things that she's getting at school? Absolutely not. If you have a child that is on an IEP or a 504, please talk to the IEP team about compensatory education. And if you don't have a child who um, is in special education, there is probably academic loss for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, there may be some children where they are loving the online platform. Okay, they are excelling. They are like this. I have found my niche. The family, we are flowing. Okay, And that's amazing. Right. But we really need to talk about this is not a one size fits all. Okay, it's just not right. Every household is different. And so we have to we really I keep saying this to everybody. We genuinely right now should be reimagining education. Why are we going back to same old, same old? We should be going back to same old, same old. We should be reimagining. We should be talking about the state board education. Are you all talking to the schools and developing a mandated distance learning academic standard? We could create an online platform for students that excelled in online classrooms. Do you know how much bullying would go down? Right. 
or other things that would happen. And then to have that, and it's not taking in place of, it's having in addition, it's having another option. I talked to two young people yesterday and they said they're in Ward 8, there's a lack of options. That's what they say. Where are the options for us? Where are the options for our families? So where they can say, okay, I want to do distance learning or the option saying, I want to go back to school. That should be a family choice. And whatever that choice is, needs to be respected. Right. So on that note, I wanted to ask you, for parents who are frustrated with the entire COVID, what is my school going to do next? What's going to happen with my child's IEP? Mm -hmm. Uh, My child isn't making progress, right? Who should they be talking to? So for the parents who have actually reached out to the school and they're getting the PC, oh, we don't know what's happening yet. But then you hear from people who are teachers, these conversations about you guys better come back because we're coming back at 100%. For those parents who have those concerns, and even if hypothetically saying, you know, I know my kids, we're not going back 100%. But for those parents who are doing virtual school, and let's say their schools are not providing everything the child needs to be to make sure that the IEP is still intact or they're still making progress, Mm -hmm. who outside of the IEP team or the school can they talk to? Because I know that you work for AGE for you Mm -hmm. guys in the Parent Information Center. Yep. The PTI. So we're the federal mandated PTI. So for those listening, every state has a parent training information center. It's a federal mandate under IDEA the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. It's a federal mandate. It's, again, it's not, a, it's not a choice. It's a requirement. Every state has one. I'll give you the information to share with parents about where they can find who their parent training information center is. Okay. Okay. For DC, it's AJE, where I work. Okay. If you are in Maryland listening, your PTI, your parent training information center, to help you navigate, you know, to go outside the school, to help you navigate what's going on, even though they're going to have to work with the school so that way they know what's going on. And so that way there can be a communication with the school about what's happening, right? But for Maryland, Parents Place of Maryland. So PPMD, Parents Place of Maryland. That is the Maryland Parent Training Information Center. VA, Virginia, your Parent Training Information Center, it's, I call it PTC. So it's P E. ATC, Parent Educational Advocacy Training Center. I always use acronyms, so that's why I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope I got it right. So if I got it wrong, I'm so sorry. But definitely it's it's Petsy. P-E-A-T-C. There is a website. It's called Parent Center Hub. It's either .org or .com. But basically that is the website for you to find your parent training information center. We call them PTIs, so parent training information. Every state, you can find that. So like if you're in Texas or California, you have like, California has like 10 because the state is so big. Texas has like six or seven or something like that because of how big the state is. But for the DMV purposes, DC, AJE, Parent Training Information Center, Maryland, Parents Place of Maryland, that's your Parent Training Information Center, and Virginia is PETSI, P-E-A-T-C. That is your Parent Training Information Center for Virginia. And basically what we do is we help parents, again, navigate special education and give them the information, tools and resources to best advocate for their child. Because there is no better advocate for a child than their parent. Mm -hmm. Because even when you get an advocate, let's say I'll use myself. Let's say I'm having an issue and I get an advocate to help me with a Bria, right? The advocate is still going to take my lead. Say it again. 
the advocate is still going to take my lead because I, I am the legal authority and the legal education decision maker to the families. You are the legal authority for your child or your children. You are the one with the legal decision-making right. Nobody has legal has legal decision-making rights but the parent or the legal guardian. You are the legal authority. You're the boss. Because the boss. when you get the advocate, they're working for you. Right. You're the boss. Right. And when things are not making sense to you, do not feel less than and do not feel like, oh, I'm just going to sit back. No. You ask them, what does that mean? This is what I feel mm-hmm. like and said, mm-hmm. and I don't agree. And then mm-hmm. you tell them why you don't agree. Mm-hmm. Do not sit back and let them take the lead. I like to say this to my coaching parents. Mm-hmm. You are the boss. You are you the have boss. A, your child is your vision. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you have a business, the boss doesn't know all the pieces. He doesn't know what the architecture does. He doesn't know what IT does. What he knows is what my vision is and what I want to happen. So that's what you do. You go in, you don't need to know what everybody does at the table. What you need to know is this is my vision. Hey, you right over there, mm-hmm. special education mm-hmm. specialist. You tell me how you're going to contribute to this vision. Okay, I see what you're talking about. That's not going to work for him. Okay, teacher, how mm-hmm. are you contributing to this vision? Mm-hmm. My advocate, how are you contributing to this vision? Amen. You have to make people get in alignment with your vision mm-hmm. and explain you how okay. they're going to make it work. And what they're offering to you is it going to work. You're like, okay, that's not going to work. That's just facts. Facts. Because at the end of the day, everybody on the team is always going to revolve and the constant is you. Can you say that one more time? Everybody on the team are going to be constant revolving and the only constant is going to be you. And everyone will go about their lives, only you and your child left. So what you don't want to do is at 21, you're trying to figure out what happened. What happened was these people said, we're helping you. And you're like, oh, somebody helping me. And you sit back. And even though your spirit stuff is happening, you're like, it doesn't make sense. Why are you telling my kid I was going to be two years behind? But the way they give it to you is so smooth, like, and confident. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. your child's always going to be two years behind. And this is what we have in place. But your spirit's like, hell no. What the hell is that? What the hell is this? If you don't know what other things you can do, you can go to the parent training. To all my parents, let me tell y'all something. If you do not agree, say something. You squat up on their ass. Y'all hear me? The only constant is you. And guess what? I'm going to say it. It's the old school saying, closed mouths don't get fed, baby. Come on, baby. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I tell everybody. I say, even in me running for the State Board of Education, if it directly affects my child, I'm going to be right there. If it indirectly affects my child, I'm going to be right there. If it indirectly twice removed affects my baby, Miss Law is going to be right there. And let's clarify there, okay? So for some of my parents out there who, when they're invited to these IEP meetings and these parent-teacher conferences, and you're like, I have to work, I can't attend, guess what? You the boss. You tell them, unfortunately, being in person, I cannot meet that. However, I am open to having a teleconference. Please get back with me with the details. So you guys, and honestly, I'm going to put the law out there again. It's a mandate. It's under IDEA. So it's something called under the law. It's called meaningful parent participation. The school cannot refuse or 
make barriers for a parent to participate. Now, let's be real. Some of them have and some of them do and some of them will. Right. But they are not in compliance with IDEA. Okay. And, and that right there is when you tell them that you know. See, they're banking on the fact that you don't know. You exactly. don't know. And they're exactly. in charge. Now, when you pull up and you say, well, according to IDA and the Meaningful Parent Participation Law, you mm-hmm. are required to give me access to this meeting. And I bet you all of a sudden everybody's turning the tide to make sure that you're there. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to state complaint. They don't want that due process complaint. They don't want it. Carol. Ciao. It is power and knowing. And that's it. That's like when it's about how you talked about how there's this breakdown in communication, but there's also breakdown when it comes to a parent and their advocacy. You're depending on someone to give you all the tea and they're just giving you a sip. Sometimes they're just giving you like a breadcrumb and you're just left to find the rest of the pieces of the puzzle. Figure it out yourself. And in the interim, or you give up or you just get, you just get really fed up and frustrated and you don't know what to do. But Mm -hmm. trust and believe what the cipher is, is to provide that place for you to learn all the different tea. I want you to know the tea. I want, when someone says speech therapist, I want you to know all that they do. We want you to know the tea, honey. We want you to know the tea. This is like the one-stop shop where you're going to get that tea. So you can show up at the table and you have an inkling of what that discussion is about. Amen. I love what you're doing. I think this is beautiful. I'm so humbled to be a part of it. I I love what you're doing. We are blessed to have you here. So, we're about to wrap this thing up, but I want to ask you. So I always ask everybody, what's the moment that yeah. made them decide to take charge of their child's education instead of letting someone else lead, least of all teachers in school, but mm-hmm. just period. Honestly, the moment I knew I had to take charge was when Abria was born and she was one pound and six ounces, 23 weeks. Miracle baby. And I've never seen so many doctors in my life. There were like 30 doctors in the room. I gave birth, gave birth naturally. And there were so many doctors. And then after that, she was gone. It's like they swooped her into the NICU to do the things they needed to do. So I didn't get to see her. I don't even know how many hours had passed. It was like nighttime because I I had her. It was like 12 o'clock. I don't think I got to see her for like nine hours because they were doing so much to keep her here. Right. And so when I went to finally see her, she was in the incubator and she was the tiniest little thing that I have ever seen. And I prayed. I said, God, I give her back to you because this is your miracle. And if you need her to go with you, then that's what will happen. I never dreamed that I would be a mother. And so in that moment, when I saw her in the NICU, I said, if the Lord will have me to keep her, I will do everything in my power to fight for her. I will do everything humanly possible to make sure that I am right there. I asked so many questions. I asked about breastfeeding. I asked about her apnea monitor. I asked about her oxygen. I talked to the social worker. I talked to her every single day about what do I need to do? Where do I go? I have no idea what to do. What do I do? She said, Miss Law, I want you to look up National Children's Center. That's how actually I got introduced to Ward 8, going to the National Children's Center when um, she was a couple months old. That's how I actually moved over here. Mm. I wanted to be close to her. And so when I went to visit the school, I went to NCC and just saw the love that they had for their students and the resources that were there to make sure that she's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And from then on, I remember when my dad advocated for me to be able to get resources. I just think those skills kind of like transferred over to me as a parent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was like literally right there when they did not give her OT at one point in time. 
Oh, there was a nice email sent to Aussie. When I had to learn about the IFSP, the Individualized Family Service Plan, I was right there asking questions. When she was at NCC, I had to learn. That's when I first got introduced to IDEA. That's early intervention. Mm -hmm. And for my parents out there, that's part C. So early intervention from like zero to three is part C. Age three to 22 is part B. That's our public education, you know, whether it's charter or or a a DC public school or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I've been fighting for my baby since she got here. I hear you. You know, so I'm going to ask you this. What does Abria mean? What does her name mean? So so Abria is actually my middle name. Mm -hmm. But Abria is the female name for Abraham. Oh! Father Abraham. And my dad's name... God bless his soul. May he rest in peace and in power. Is Abraham. My dad's name was Abraham. So basically, we named her after my dad. Even though in my middle name, it's Abraham plus my mom's middle name, which is Maria. So we get Abria. But Abria is the female name for Abraham. And so basically, Abria is named after Pop Pop. Listening to your story, I had to ask, just because my kids' names, it's a reflection of what I wanted them to have. Because Amen. it was hard, like it was not easy pregnancy. But I also wanted to share with you, yes. I was three pounds and five ounces. Come on. And I was three months and I was three months early. See, the power in us sharing our stories. Yeah. And it is something, it's something to be said when you have a child, period, or when you have a child and it doesn't go as planned. Mm-hmm. And the moment where you are willing to just give it up to God, give it up to the higher mm-hmm. being. And mm-hmm. I remember, it's so funny, when you're young, you know, you're young, you say a lot of stuff. And I remember watching a movie with um, Demi Moore, I think it's called The Messiah. And she's supposed to be giving birth to the last child on the earth. And the angel uh-huh. says, would you die for him? And she said, yes. And I was like, shit. <laughs> uh-huh. But I kid you not, and I had my son, it was hard. Mind you, I was chill with the birth. Like I was doing natural, but he was a stall birth, wasn't dilating. And they were like, you got to go. And all I kept telling them was make sure that he survives. You make sure he survives because I don't trust surgery. I don't like hospital. You make sure he survives. And in that moment, yes, you would die for him. And when you see your child and they are your piece of forever, ever, you do put all of your grit into their survival and their happiness. So that is like, yeah, when I'm listening to your story, you can make me cry. I said, yes. Literally, I put, even to this day, I put everything I have into my daughter. I remember praying to God. I was like, Lord, look at what a miracle she is. I want the world to hear her story. And then with that right there, I've been watching your campaigning. And then you said, not only am I trying to get my daughter to the decision-making table. So that, and I'm looking at your pictures and I see her with you. Every time. (laughs) Right. And I see her with you. And I always have this conversation with people about inclusive parenting. And that's when you take your child with you on a journey, but you give them context to what's going on. Mm -hmm. So what are your conversations like? With Abria? <laughs> Abria, when you're talking about running, because kids get it, even though you don't think they get it, but just the conversation. So the first conversation, it was so funny. I was like, you know, mommy needs to talk to you. Mommy is running for office. Abria says to me, mommy, why do we have to run to your office? <laughs> she was like, why can't we get in the car? I don't understand. <laughs> 
<laughs> so literal. It was so funny. And I was like, you know what? I was like, she is such a smart cookie because I lo- I said, mommy is running for office. And in her mind, running to your, I've been to your office. I don't, I don't understand. It was the most hilarious thing. That was our They're first conversation. So literal. My boy, so and I was like, I think I should change this up. And so I say, you know, how mommy is in the community. And we say meeting. Mommy, you're always at a meeting. You're always at a meeting. And she's always on the phone. And she knows I'm always at a meeting because she's sitting next to me with her snacks and her books and her toys with me in the meeting. Everybody knows everywhere I go, Abria is right there. And 90% of the time, even when I'm doing the lives, or like on Facebook or doing something with the campaign on Zoom, she's right there. I don't have her with me as much because of COVID, like when I'm out in the public. Mm-hmm. But if it wasn't for COVID, first of all, I got my wagon mm-hmm. and she'd be right there in her wagon or she's starting to pass out things. So I said, you know how mommy um, helps you? She goes, yes. I said, well, mommy wants to help other kids too. And I said, and I want us to help other kids. I said, Abri, I said, you're helping other babies and other kids. I said, you know how mommy's always saying for us to be kind to each other and to help each other. She says, yes, mommy. I said, okay. I said, mommy is working on something new to help more families and to help more kids. And I think she started realizing it once we got like the campaign literature and we started handing it out because on the literature, on the front page, it says families first. And there's a picture of her and I literally, this was when I got my master's and I was just in that picture. You can just tell like, baby, we made it. And so we made it. And so, and she knows that picture. She loves that picture. And so when she sees it on like thousands of material, it's like, wait a second, something is happening. And then when we go out in the community, I have her pass it out. Right. And when we're going to get petition signatures in her mask, she sees me talking to people and I'll have her behind me or something like that. And she'll pass it out. When we got the campaign signs, child, she said, vote. LaJoy J. Law. State. I said state. She said state. And then she was like, board of ed. I said education. I said, now read it again. Oh my God. You read the sign. I said, now do it again. She said, vote LaJoy J. Law. State board of education. Board eight. Mommy, I'm eight. Yes, <laughs> you are. That's right. Oh, look at that power numbers. Look at that power in numbers. I mean, she'll be nine in August. But I think the fact that she's eight in this moment and to see the eight on her sign, I think she translates that. Oh, my God. Like, I'm eight. My mom is eight on the sign. We've arrived. (laughs) And so when she read it, I think she's getting it. She's like, oh, mommy, this is another project that mommy is working on. Okay, mommy is doing something to help the kids. So it's just been a blessing to have her with me. And then it's just a blessing when I meet folks and just the love and support and encouragement that they give to the both of us, because everyone knows, like, I'm a single mom. And just the love that people have shown her and shown myself, it's just been so amazing. I mean, every time I meet someone, I'm like in tears because of just the love and support and the prayers that people are giving to us because I care. I'm coming from a place of help. I'm coming from a place of I want our families. I'm running because I I want my families in a position of power. I want our families to stop being disrespected. I don't want, oh, you know, prayerfully, if I win, I don't want people just saying, oh, wait, wait, stop. Let's put a pin in that right there. Okay. Okay. So I believe in talking and 
affirmations. So I need you to reframe that for me. And I need you to say, when I win. So when I win. All right. Okay. When I win, we're speaking life. When I win, I want everyone to see over 16,000 souls. I want folks, when they talk to me, oh, baby, you don't need to be talking to me. You need to go talk to Ms. Dawkins. You need to go talk to Siobhan. You need to go talk to Nicole. You need to go talk to Mr. and Mrs. Jones. You need to talk to Ms. Natalie. You need to talk to Ms. Thompson. You need to talk to Ms. Campbell. Because when I roll up, my families are right here. And you will not get to me without going through my families first. Right. This isn't about me. This is about every single family in Ward 8. Right. Giving them a voice. And not so much even, they have a voice. Making them be heard. We just, we need to be able to get them to a table where the microphone is so that everyone can hear. Right. I feel like, you know, when I do attend the meetings and I see Ward 8 parents at the mic and they're passionate, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're advocating. And then I'm looking at the faces of the people who are listening and they are dispassionate and they are disconnected. And I'm like, whoa, it's hurtful. It's hurtful. It's It's hurtful. So it's, are you not listening because they are from board eight? Are you not listening because they black? And you've already decided their show up. You've already decided who you're talking to. I'm talking to an angry black parent. So I'm not even going to really listen to you because all you're doing is complaining. Mm-hmm. When I coach parents, what I coach them about is you are the primary expert on your child. And mm-hmm. every time they kick back at you, you bring in the experience of your child. Be your child's mm-hmm. voice. Amen. Be your child's voice. Don't Amen. tell them it's not going to work. You tell them a nice, good, good story on why that's not going to work. See, because my son has anxiety and he, even though he has autism spectrum disorder, he knows that he can't read. That's why mm-hmm. he's not talking and he has anxiety. So what Mm -hmm. that looks like to him is you want him to sit with a peer and read when he know he can't read. And now you want him to put himself on blast in front of this team member. Exactly. How do you think that makes him feel? Does does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? You got to bring him in. I tell everyone, Miss Law, what if I'm embarrassed about my story? Or what if my truth isn't just the best? And I remember I was talking to Jock and he said, it has gotten to a place where I don't care if you have to cry it out, say it loudly, say it in anger. If you say it softly, tears rolling down your face. However it comes out, it is time and it needs to be heard. Because what I think will happen is when we come together in a unified front, the disrespect will cease. Because they'll know if I come sideways, you know how we are sideways. If I come sideways to this parent over here, you realize you just messed with over 16,000 parents, right? Right. And we're coming. Right. Where it's the power in numbers, power of community. Absolutely. Amen. Which is what I love about your work. And we're going to wrap it up. And one of the questions I always ask everyone who comes in, because it is the cipher and we do take a head nod off to the rap cipher. Yes. Right. So I asked you your favorite song. And you said it's familiar. Is it? Is that familiar? So it's family. So we say family. It's family. Yeah, but it's family. Yeah. Family. You know, that's how they say it in the island. I love Michael Montano. He is an island Caribbean singer. I love soca music. He's a soca singer. I love me some soca music. I love African music. I love pop. I love rap. 
R&B. I'm just all over the place. I'm eclectic. But this song right here, not only does it like represent everything with the campaign, it just represents everything, just how I'm feeling right now within the community. And about like when you hear the lyrics, like how there's power and how we don't see color, you know, and about how we just really have to come together, you know, like one love for real. I just love it. When I was going through the notes and I pulled up the song and I like did the little intro, but then I pulled up the lyrics as I was listening. And I was like, I can see why she likes this song, especially, you know, the first set of lyrics was like, because when we roll, we don't roll alone. So anyway, that's where we go. And then when I was listening, right? to, we don't see skin, we don't see color, we see strength, we see power, power. we don't see race, one or the other. Once Amen. he's breathing on this earth, he is my brother. I was like, I can see. Like, it is the embodiment of your presence, existence in this moment, but it's a culmination it is. of all your work. It is. I mean, I finally feel like I'm at the right place at the right time, in the right moment. And a friend said, well, guess what? That's called purpose. Purpose. So I want you to share with the listeners, of course, it'll be in the show notes, but share with the listeners. One, how can we support you? So for all of my Cypher people who are in the DC Ward 8, how can they support you? And when are the elections? And where can they find you? Yes. Okay. So everyone in Ward 8, the election is Tuesday, November 3rd. So vote LaJoy Johnson Law. You all can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaJoy, L-A-J-O-Y, J Law, L-A-W. And as far as donating, anyone can donate. So you don't have to be in Ward 8. You don't just have to be in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, just anywhere. Like anybody can donate to the campaign. This is a family movement. And so I need everyone's help with getting families to the decision-making table. We are in this together. So you can donate at www.lajoylaw2020.com. So www. LaJoyLaw2020.com. Always remember, you're doing the best what you have. Remember to be patient with yourself and your child. Did you know you can support the show on Patreon? So the Parenting Cypher can keep bringing you great content and guests. Just click on the Patreon link in the show notes. Till next time.